You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me on this podcast, as usual, is David Leach, ITK analyst and Renew Economy contributor. How are you, David? I'm very well, Giles. Trust you're well. Trust our listeners are well and uh, looking forward to some chat on electricity. Yes. Well, look, I guess the big thing of the last week has been the COAG meeting, which was discussing the National Energy Guarantee. Now, no real surprises. What we got out of this was that um, essentially the amber light um, being given for the Energy Security Board to do more work over the next couple of months. They're going to go away, um, produce more details of their draft um, legislation, have more consultations with people, have a phone hook up with um, the COAG states in June, with the assumption being that the final thing will come in August and be voted on. Uh, yes, indeed. I've noticed the communique uh, clearly talked about further issues that had been raised by the states. And uh, so I think most of the debate is going to be uh, around the extent of the renewable guarantee and issues that uh, you've talked about uh, and well known, I think, to, to, to listeners in some extent. That is that, you know, essentially there's a, quite a big carbon reduction task across the whole economy. Um, electricity has been shown not enough in itself and no other sectors doing anything. So the thing's basically uh, a complete disaster from a carbon re- reduction point of view. Well, it is. And um, look, we talk about this being a bipartisan policy, but I can't see much bipartisanship there, even though there may be agreement that these two, um, this emissions obligation, that the, the technical aspects of this obligation might be okay. The fact that there's actually no ambition in, in, in emissions means that neither of these obligations will probably ever come into force. And basically, the whole thing comes down to by how far will we reduce emissions? And there's basically no agreement there because even if Frydenberg and Turnbull wanted to move, the right wing of the party won't let them. And you can't imagine Labor or any of the other states um, signing on for something which is clearly inadequate. No, uh, the the basic problem with this policy is that it's a political uh, uh, fix, not a, not an actual uh, problem to really make progress in carbons reduction. It all depends on what point of view, if you like. The conventional media has uh, portrayed it as a an end to the ca- carbon wars, as they say. Uh, uh, but uh, yes, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, it's, no, <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's just a policy to let both parties go to an election. Uh, the, 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 the Frydenberg can look quite statesmanlike, and I, I have to be fair, he's negotiated something which not everyone has been able to do, although he's still got to sell the final version of it. Um, go on, so what, what, what do the states do then? So come August, let's imagine that um, some of the uh, remaining wrinkles of the actual technical aspects of these obligations are ironed out, and everyone's reasonably happy with, with that. Um, what do the states do if Frydenberg and Turnbull don't move? Do they knock this thing on the head because it's not ambitious enough? Or do they allow it to go through, allow Turnbull and Frydenberg to claim the moral ground or this, you know, sort of this great victory, but really cross their fingers and hope that there's a Labour election, uh, win at the next federal election? Well, uh, it depends how much you really 
ready to die for carbon reduction, you know, or stand up and be counted, I think, Giles, in the end. I mean, I, I suspect there are elements within the Labor Party, and this is just pure speculation on my part, that would be perfectly happy to say we'll change the policy after the election and, you know, raise the target. And then if they can't get it through the Senate, they'll sort of say, oh, bad luck, we had a good go mm. and it just didn't happen. So what should the industry be hoping for then? Basically, wave this through and hope we get a, a new party at the election? Well, I mean, if you look at it from industry's point of view, what they want is uh, electricity prices to be as low as possible. You know, I mean, it's not the industry's job to do carbon reduction, to be fair. A lot of mm. companies do see that they have an obligation to be socially responsible and to do the best they can in that area. Uh, but it's not necessarily their job to look after that. Yes, well, I'm just wondering what the utility... Someone was suggesting to me at dinner last night uh, that, uh, well, maybe maybe if the utilities can come up with their own plan and just sort of get together and agree to reduce emissions by, beyond what um, what might um, what the politicians agree or, or what might be with the coalition government. But um, Giles, I can't imagine we, that happening. Well, I don't think we should speculate too much on it, actually, at the moment. Let's, uh, let's look at the... First of all, what is actually happening? The first thing that happens is we've got five, six gigawatts, depending on how you count, of new power, new renewable power coming online. Mm. And that'll produce between 15 and 16 terawatt hours of energy. Now, that is, there's about 190 terawatt hours consumed across the NEM. So that's about an 8% increase in supply, in energy supply, assuming that none of it is curtailed. A little mm. bit might be curtailed in South Australia. So the first question I would ask if I was in industry or if I was in government or anywhere else is what is the impact going to be of that new supply on carbon emissions and on electricity prices? And the answer is? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you model it uh, so that the new supply is, is it comes and knocks out on the highest marginal fuel cost, that will be gas, of course. Mm. Uh, and so I think it's enough to virtually knock out gas uh, out of most states' uh, supply, except for a little bit at peak times in the morning and the evening. And it can also reduce the hydro. And so I think that would have quite an impact on electricity prices. But if you do look at it that way, but doesn't do anything to carbon emissions, because this is the... The problem with renewables, if you just do it on cost alone, what it does is to knock out the low carbon fuels and leave the high carbon fuels like coal, which have low variable costs in the mix. So this is the problem with not having a carbon price. On the other hand, if you want to uh, just look a little bit forward to when the uh, uh, neg starts, what you'll probably have is a bit of a slope, uh, which says that you start at whatever the current percentage is and work your way up to a 20 per six percent lower than 2005 target by 2030. So if the retailers have to follow that, they'll probably uh, feed it through so that the generators in the end have to cut back a little bit more on the coal and keep some of the gas in the mix. But that won't happen until, in my opinion, well after 2022. 22. So in the next three years, I think we're looking at uh, prices going lower before they go higher again. 
do you think they're going to go? Well, I'm going to take actually. First of all, I'm going to um, before I ask about electricity prices, I'm just going to take one issue with what you said there about the reduction in emissions. Um, the analysis from Green Energy Markets this last week was that um, the acquittal of the RET and some of the overbuilding um, on behalf of the RET, ironically, they they estimate we're going to get to 41,000 gigawatt hours, which is the target that um, was sort of deemed impossible to meet and therefore was cut to 33,000. But anyway, um, their analysis is that the building of this new wind and solar will actually achieve those emissions reductions, which are aimed for under the National Energy, National Energy Guarantee. So in fact, they have actually reduced, um, reduced emissions, um, even if they um, are, are sort of requiring a bit less gas. Well, I guess the, uh, this is the trouble with numbers, and we'll have to wait for the official numbers and the Greenhouse emissions data is always terribly lagging. I don't know how you can manage such an important part of policy with such lagging data. Mm. But, but what I did was look at the actual tonnes of carbon, according to NEM review, that were emitted in the year to March 31. So that's after the Hazelwood reduction. If you're interested in all these numbers, Giles, and I get to 156 million tonnes of CO2, and down from 186 million in 2005. So, so you're arguing then, that, so you're saying that we'll, we will actually need new capacity um, even after the RET, that, that, that's your position? Uh, in, in long and the short of it is, I still think we've got 20, 20 million tonnes to go and I don't think this new renewable stuff that's still to come online will do more than 15 at the outside. So okay. the, but look, who cares about, I mean, 5 million tonnes, Australia emits 550 million tonnes, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yes. Yes, yeah, no, it's interesting. Oh, well, look, um, and, and, and just because um, you mentioned your analysis, and that's published on Renew Economy today, too, so I'd urge readers to um, look for more detail there. Another thing that was worth reading, too, uh, David, was um, Owen uh, um, Kelp's analysis. And um, this is an interesting one. This is just talking about um, Australia's Paris, um, Paris climate targets. And I guess the way that the ESB and all the other modelling and even the Finkel review modelling has actually been cast is at a fixed line in 2020. But like the Kyoto target, it's not actually done that way. It's actually done on the carbon budget. So what he was actually saying was that they've actually short-sold electricity even further than thought. And that if you think about the carbon budget and what is allowed to be emitted under this Paris Treaty um, under the current targets until 2030, electricity will actually only reduce, account for 5% of those reductions, which seems an extraordinary um, low ratio, um, you know, particularly given it's, um, you know, the price and the ease of um, emission reductions in that sector compared to others. Look, Charles, it, the, 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 the biggest, that's right, that's a good piece of work and I, I believe there's a big IPCC report coming later this year uh, that talks about what needs to be done to get to one and a half degrees. Uh, but the reality mm. is I think we are going to see one and a half degrees of warming. But look, the, 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 the absolute fact of the matter is Frydenberg's done okay so far, if you like, in electricity or he's done something. But it, it's, it's the government's job to come up with a policy to show how we're going to meet our overall target. And if you want to talk about carbon and not electricity, the fact is we're just not going to get there with the current policy suite. It's terrible. It's useless. It's atrocious. There with the current policy suite. It's terrible. It's useless. It's atrocious. Uh, uh, Australia might only be 2% of emissions, but I mean, we all know the arguments there. We, we need policy in a lot of more. And that was the great advantage of a carbon price or a carbon yeah. tax. It was economy wide. Well, look, let's look at some of the other things that are happening around. Um, last week, we also saw the opening of the Gana, or the connection of the Ganawara solar plant. Now, that's pretty exciting. That's going to get connected 
um, with a, another Tesla big battery and will become the, um, well, one, of the, one of the biggest of its types in the world, solar and storage, right down there in Victoria. And I think over the next few months, we're going to see a lot more of these solar plants, which have been under construction over the last few months, um, finally coming online. I think there's going to be about at least half a dozen of them. Yes, I've been trying to uh, ring up some of the people involved in some of the projects uh, with more success in some than others. Uh, there's a couple of Edify Energy ones in Queensland that are maybe a couple of months, maybe even a quarter behind schedule. Uh, one at the Crookwell 2 wind farm, it's had a turbine problem, so it's, blow it's been pushed back a few months uh, while they sort that out. Uh, the FRV plant um, uh, in Queensland, uh, I think I can't find anything about how that's going. Uh, and if, if you know, <clears throat> FRV don't mm. return phone calls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here's your opportunity, those at uh, FRV. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, there's, um, there's of course, the, the Sun Metals solar farm, which I think is nearly finished. Um, although a lot of those ones up in North Queensland had issues with the um, recent sort of cyclones coming through and dumping a whole bunch of rain there. Um, and, of course, the three in New South Wales put together by Neoen. And um, I think there's some others around the place. And I've, I've just, it just escaped me a little bit of what they might be. Uh, yeah, so the long and the short of it is there's a lot of new supply, but as as usual, I guess uh, some of it's a bit later rather than a bit earlier as compared to commissioning dates. And what we should be uh, keeping an eye on, what we're trying to do is to analyse the impact of that on electricity prices in the first instance in the pool uh, over the next 12 or 18 months. So because this is, the, this is the big call, is this new renewables going to reduce price or increase price? And then uh, the other thing in the back of my mind is all the time, is uh, if it reduces prices, will that, uh, say in New South Wales, or would that accelerate, uh, um, you know, coal plant closures? Uh, um, if it, if prices fell enough in Queensland from the new solar, what about the Gladstone uh, plant up there? Uh, on, and on the other hand, if prices fall, how are you going to get new supply into the market, you, you know, to replace or to, on the assumption that uh, Origin's true to its word and closes its Raring plant in another decade, and this is, this is my problem with the current policy. We're still relying on, on the electricity price uh, to provide the right signals for new investment. And, I, and we've discussed this a lot, Giles, but uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm far from convinced it's the best policy. Yes, and um, just as a reminder for those um, who may have forgotten what um, David has said in the past, is this, um, this idea of having a, a series of auctions, just working out where the capacity is going to be needed, both from an emissions perspective and from reliability perspective and um, have a series of auctions. Um, look, I guess that's probably a little bit what the NEG's trying to do. I mean, I guess under this thing, AEMO will be setting a 10-year forecast with the ESO and reviewing it and, you know, maybe identifying a reliability gap. And if it's not met three years out, then they'll start um, applying this obligation. Um, but it's not quite as efficient as an auction system, you think? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think myself that the whole... Um, um, gross pool market is is actually not fit for purpose in the current system where we have to reconfigure the total total supply system over the next 20 years and I think it's much better to have uh, the competition uh, managed in a different way we've got to plan the transmission uh, I look forward to the development of the national uh, electricity plan that's been developed uh, by EMO and getting that accepted and so there's, I think it's very exciting times to come, but, but for the next couple of years, it's going to be a lot less exciting with a, a big debate about whether we're going to have enough new supply to meet any of the objectives that we really need. And meanwhile, the behind the meter guys are just going to get on with life.
Well, and they are getting on with life. Um, in fact, uh, you sent me an interesting document last week, um, which you found in the dark, dark recesses of the EMO website, and um, there's some absolute beauties in there if you can actually find the damn things. Um, and that was actually just sort of talking about some of the submissions to this integrated um, system plan. And as you say, I think this is going to be one of the most important um, processes that we're going to see. And it's just really interesting seeing the um, the response. And there's going to be a huge debate about whether we build new transmission or whether that's entirely needed because of all the things. That they're going to happen at the distributed energy level. Um, so, so Giles, it's worth noting that, of course, when you read the submissions, the big three retailers, of course, Gentailers, they're not really convinced we need any new transmission. <laughs> and the reason for that's pretty obvious. All that can mean is more problems for them, you know. <laughs> Well, that's exactly right. Look, I, I, I do, I, I do admit that everyone does actually sort of sing their sing their songbook when they uh, when they make their submissions to these things. But it, it is kind of in- interesting. But um, AEMO is actually um, has actually flagged it's going to be increasing its forecast uptake of distributed energy, which is interesting. Um, it's already increased its forecast uptake of electric vehicles by fifty percent just from last September. So in six months' time, it's gone. Oh, that's interesting. We think electric vehicles are going to grow 50% quicker than we actually thought. From one to uh, two vehicles, will that be? Oh, oh, shame on you. Shame on you. I've got to say, in the low scenario, they haven't actually budgeted it, but in the neutral scenario, in the high scenario, no, they're talking about 10 million electric vehicles on the roads um, in 20 years' time, which is half a million vehicles a year, which is pretty close to half of all vehicle sales. So, averaged over the next 20 years. Interesting I- stuff. I, I very much look forward to that, but I think you can do the numbers and say that it's at most unlikely to make much difference to electricity consumption in total in the next five or six years, even even if sales really take off now because of the existing fleet. Um, I, I did some numbers on that myself just recently. I, I, I would like electric vehicles to be very important. Uh, we certainly look for some policy and developments in the electric vehicle market. Uh, I say again, you can't just blame the federal government for that. State governments could do a lot and, and town councils uh, could do a lot. Mayors of Sydney and Melbourne, I've said it several times, could free parking. It works so well overseas. I've yet to hear it explained why we, we can't have that in some of these big urban areas. Well, actually, on that point, we should actually mention before we go that the ACT government did outline its um, um, electric vehicle strategy earlier on last week. Um, and that was quite interesting. And they're talking about um, reduction in stamp. Well, they've already done reduction in stamp duties and registrations, but they're talking about um, a government fleet. Um, all new government fleet vehicles will be electric by after 2022, and a whole bunch of incentives on. Um, uh, priority lanes on parking, um, making sure that the infrastructure is built into shopping centres, make sure that there's reserve parking in shopping centres, really quite com- uh, comprehensive, including um, encouraging um, electric bikes. So um, so Clover uh, Moore could get off her butt, you know, and stop patting herself on the head about what a good environmentalist she is and start doing some of this stuff in Sydney as well. And I'm not sure if Melbourne's actually got a mayor at the moment after what's been going on down there, but whoever it is should be having a look at themselves in the mirror and seeing what they can do too, don't you think, Giles? Well, I think that's probably quite right. And, and not just the mayors, but also the state governments, I think. But um, there you go. Uh, one thing to well, quickly mention uh, before we go, Giles, and we must go shortly, is that the New South Wales state governments are starting to have a look at uh, pumped hydro opportunities. And they've involved in Sydney Water. And I think there's a bit of a, um, uh, 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 an explanation day coming up about that fairly soon. And, and people who want to look at that will be able to have a look. So there is a little bit of progress in, in, in the backwoods. Uh, if you look hard enough with a magnifying glass and a big enough searchlight. <laughs> well, look, on that reassuring note, I think we should um, 
should, should probably wrap it up. Um, look, thanks very much to our sponsors, Solar Ray Energy and What Watchers. Um, as usual, we do appreciate their support. Um, David, any just quickly before we go, I know you're off to the western, the western uh, regions of New South Wales for a model plane flying competition. Anything else on the horizon? Uh, no, I'll be keeping my eye out for solar farms and wind farms along the way, uh, and but that's about it for me at the moment. Well, maybe you can take a plug and uh, plug some of them in while you're there. Um, okay, look, I look forward to next week, and um, thank you very much to you, and thank you very much to our listeners. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarRay Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.